I'm sure you've had uh, this experience. It's an experience that Pippa and I had uh, the other night as we were out for our one-hour government-permitted uh, uh, exercise, went for a wander uh, around the delights of Gatley, and we came round a corner, a junction of two main roads, and there there was a, a metal park bench. Uh, nothing particularly exciting, but it's a park bench we'd never noticed before. Now, we've lived here 19 years and have been past that junction numerous times and have never seen that park bench. But it's been there because it was shackled down because it's on the border of Gatley and Withenshaw, so it had to be. Uh, so it's shackled down to the, uh, to the pavement and it's clearly been there for years. Maybe because of the new circumstances and uh, the fact that we're tracing the same paths day after day, if we're able to get out and enjoy our exercise, we're seeing things that we've just not seen before. As we get into John chapter 8 again today, I'm hoping that we can see that Jesus was wanting people to see something they just hadn't noticed. And John wants us to see that as well. Last week, Ian told us about Jesus making the declaration, I am the light of the world. And what follows on from that is John showing us the conversation that Jesus has to try and enlighten people's understanding as to who he is, particularly the Jewish religious leaders. Let's take our reading together in John chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, you can grab them. John chapter 8, and I actually want to go back up into some of what uh, Ian read last week because it has a connection with the next section. So John chapter 8 and verse 14. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you're from below, I am from above. You're of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? They asked. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you. 
but he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. Jesus knew where he had come from and where he was going. Back in John chapter 6, he told the crowds in Galilee after he'd fed them uh, with the five loaves and two fish, he said, I have come down from heaven. But here in Jerusalem, he's not been as clear cut. Uh, he said, I know where I came from and where I'm going without being very specific about his origins. Back in John chapter 7, we saw how they were puzzled about his claims about where he had come from. And they thought he was talking about his hometown of Nazareth. And they said, no prophet comes from there. So they were thinking merely in earthly terms. But the Lord comes back round to this again, wanting to shed light and understanding into these people's minds and into their hearts about the reality of where he has come from, which is heaven itself. Here's the good news of Christianity, that God himself has come in to humanity. Knowing where he'd come from and where he was going meant that he went on to say in uh, chapter 8 of, and verse 21 of chapter 8, he says, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So John has brought us in to understanding that um, Jesus is the one who has come from heaven. Earlier in the book, he's already told us in the opening chapter that he is the word who has become flesh. He's also said in John chapter 3 that he is the one who is from above, who is above all. So we know where Jesus has come from as we read John's gospel. Uh, but the people in Jerusalem, the Jewish leadership, the religious leaders in particular, just couldn't get it. And here was Jesus saying something further to them. He says, and I'm going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. And where I go, you cannot come. It actually says at the beginning of verse 21, once more Jesus said this. He'd already said it back in John 7, verse 33, as we have it recorded. And he said there, you'll only have me for a short time and then I'm going to the one who sent me. So he knew where he'd come from and he knew the one who had sent him. And John has already told us as observers working our way through his gospel, who the one who sent him is, it's his father God and his origins are in heaven. Jesus said in John 7, 33, he says, you will look for me to the Jewish leadership, but you will not find me and where I am, you cannot come. You will look for me. Where I go, you cannot come. The people back in John 7 were probably thinking that when Jesus was referring to me, when he says, you will look for me, they were talking about himself as Jesus because they interpreted it then as saying, is he going to go to uh, the Greek-speaking Jews? Maybe because he's not getting a following here, he's going to go away to them. But here I think he's developing it further. He says, you will look for me. And where I go, you cannot come. Jesus was getting at the point that 
they weren't actually now looking for Jesus. The way John tells us this is, he says that the, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus that they might kill him. That was the only reason they were looking for Jesus. So what did Jesus really mean when he said, you will look for me? I think he's getting at the, the great hope that the Jews had in their Messiah, the great deliverer. They were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for the Messiah that God had promised, the great deliverer, the great savior, the great king. But they were looking, these religious leaders, for their own version as they understood it of Messiah. They were looking for a Messiah who would endorse their righteousness and their way of life. And Jesus certainly didn't match that description. Jesus said, you'll look for me and you won't find me and you will die in your sin and where I go, you cannot come. You know, bypassing Jesus in the search for salvation, looking for something or someone to save us, which is what everybody in the world is after. If we bypass Jesus because we don't see him for who he is, then we won't go where Jesus has gone even if we're very religious. This was spoken to religious people who knew the Hebrew Bible inside out, remember that. And Jesus said to them, you'll look for me and you will die in your sin. Sin there is singular. I'll explain why that's important as we move on. John, as he's recorded the words of Jesus is really getting at our natural condition as human beings. We will die in our sin, in our search for a savior. And if we bypass Jesus, we will die in our natural condition. Paul is the one who says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And thankfully, he says also, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ, the Messiah, Jesus. Sin is a crime and an offense against a holy and a perfect God choosing to live our way rather than his as rebels. And for that reason, Paul says in Ephesians 2 verse 3, he says, by nature, we're deserving of wrath. We die in our sin, in the search for our own construct of Messiah, Savior. And if we bypass Jesus, we cannot go where he has gone. Jesus went on, verses 23 and 24, and said, you are from below, I am from above. You are not, you are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. We've already been around this earlier in John. For the Jews, above speaks of the divine realm. It speaks of that which is beyond the created order. Below speaks of the created realm. Jesus is saying that here, the people who were standing in front of him, listening to him, are so limited in their understanding because in their nature they are sinners. But also because they're part of the created realm, they just can't get their minds around the way God works. But he is claiming that he is above it all. I'm from above. That was a direct claim to divine status. And this is, again, repeating it, the good news of Christianity that's centered in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, 
that we're all looking for. The good news is that the one from outside of the system that is broken, the one who is above this world and not conditioned by the way this world thinks, God himself, his son, came in in the person of Jesus from outside of creation and outside of this world system to come in and to reveal himself to us in the person of Jesus. This is the reality of who Jesus is. And Jesus says to them, you might notice here, he says, you will die in your sins. He says, I'm not of this order that you used to. I've come from outside of it. I've told you, you will die in your sins. If you do not believe I am he, you will die in your sins. He, he ratchets it right up. The stakes are higher. If you do not believe that I am, the NIV has the word he inserted. Because I think they're saying that here was Jesus appealing to his status as Messiah. If you do not believe that I am the Messiah deliverer, you will indeed die in your sins. Sins is plural. We will die in our sin because that is our natural condition. If we bypass Jesus seeking some other salvation. And we will die in our sins. The evidence of that natural condition. The plurality of that word there speaks of that which flows from us because of our condition. Our thoughts, our actions, our words, our desires. That give evidence to the reality that we're sinners deserving of wrath. But Jesus is claiming here that he has come from outside of this broken, sinful system to come in so that we might go with him to where he has gone. He said, if you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. We can't bypass Jesus. We have to believe that he is the Messiah. Now, I know my primary audience this morning is, is a group of disciples, but I'm appealing anyway just in case, because Jesus was talking to a, a group of religious men who, who knew the Hebrew scriptures inside out. And they just hadn't grasped Jesus for who he really was. You know, there's a little nod in what Jesus says to uh, divinity. It's when he says, if you do not believe that I am, there's enough in what he would have said in his Aramaic language to have that hint back to the great name of, God, of the Lord, Yahweh, that was first given to Moses, I am. The Jews by this time weren't pronouncing the divine name and preferring instead to say Adonai, to speak Hashem, the name of the Lord, as in a different way to show reverence so they wouldn't fall foul of the third commandment, which said not to misuse the name of the Lord. But here's the Lord speaking in Aramaic, and he says, if you do not believe that I am, here was a claim to be the very God, deliverer himself. It's for that reason that Peter, when he's preaching, Acts 4 verse 12 says, salvation is found in no one else. We can't bypass Jesus because if we do, we will die in our sinful condition and we will die in our sins, the evidence of that. Why would we trust that Jesus is the Messiah? Look at what he said in John 8, verse 16. He said, I stand with the Father who sent me. And lay that alongside John 8 and 29. And he says, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. 
You know, our sin and our sins result in estrangement from God. But here was one who was saying that he has come from outside of this system and the father, which was a very clear instruction to the Jews that he was speaking about God, the father who sent me, he is always with me. He has never left me alone because I always do what pleases him. Here was the claim to sinless perfection. Jesus, in his life as a man, you know estrangement from God because he was without sin. What a savior. And then he says in John 8, verse 19, he says, if you knew me, you would also know my father. You need to go back and look at that and see that Jesus spoke of the father. That's what the Jews would have accepted. Statements going back and linking with Isaiah 63 and 64, where God is referred to as the father of the nation of Israel. They would have been fine with that. But here he claims him as my father. And that might make us jump back into John chapter 5, where it says the religious leaders in Jerusalem wanted to kill him because he claimed the father as his own father, therefore making himself equal with God. So Jesus says in John eight nineteen, if you knew me, you would also know my father. We know Jesus. We know God. The disciples took a while to get this as well. Philip in the upper room, just before Jesus would go to the cross, he said, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus said, are you so slow? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We can't bypass Jesus. If we're going to be saved from our sin and from our sins, we have to come to Jesus. And we have to see who he is and what he has done, where he has come from and what his mission is. And that brings us to John 8 and verse 28. He says to these religious leaders who just can't see it, and we're not criticizing them for that because there are so many who don't, and it's the grace of God that shines this into the lives of people, and that's why we must pray to God for that. John 8 verse 28, Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. Jesus here was speaking about his glorification. He wasn't just referring to being lifted up on the cross because follow the logic here with me. If he's saying that the religious leaders when they crucified Jesus would suddenly come to know that he was the Messiah, we know that's not the case because history testifies to the reality that they rejected him as Messiah. So what was Jesus meaning when he says, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he. He was saying that the cross that would be triggered through the rejection of the religious leaders was the beginning of the final glorification process that's absolutely necessary for salvation. They wouldn't see Jesus as Messiah on the cross. And we won't see Jesus as the savior on the cross if we're just looking at the cross. We need to see beyond it to the glorification of the son of man. It takes us back into Daniel 7 and the image of the son of man being presented to the ancient of days coming on the clouds and to him is presented all authority and given all glory and power and eternal dominion. There's this glorification process and for Jesus, it was through the cross. The cross was necessary 
so that our sins might be forgiven. But it's not the end of the process. The whole process is needed. The whole story is needed. Jesus's life, Jesus's death, but then his resurrection, his ascension, and his exaltation to the right hand of the throne of God. So when Jesus says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, the Greek word means exalted the Son of Man. It will be revealed, beginning with the cross, all the way through to the throne of heaven, that he truly is the Messiah. It will be revealed one day for everybody to see. Paul says in Philippians 2, that every knee will bow. John finishes this section and says, even as he spoke, many believed in him. That's his hope for all of us too, that as we hear Jesus speaking of these things, that we will believe in him. But as we're going to move through John chapter 8, we're going to see that John is pushing us really about what that belief is really all about, because by the end of the chapter, the same people who have believed in what Jesus has said are picking up stones to stone him. So my warnings my encouragement for us today is to not presume on our understanding of Scripture that we, we have really got it. I'm sure we do, that Jesus is the Messiah Deliverer. Yes, he went to the cross to die for us, and our sins can be forgiven because of that, but it's more than that. Because Jesus lives and because Jesus has been raised and exalted, we have a full picture in believing in that that God has done something glorious to bring us to himself. That's what we believe in. John is showing us as we work our way through that we need to believe the whole picture. And in believing the whole picture, it shapes our whole lives as well. Back to my little story at the beginning. Are we blind ourselves of seeing what is really right in front of us? Maybe during this time as we're spending more time in God's word, and I hope we are, and we're treading over the same paths repeatedly, we're seeing more of who God's Messiah is, that Jesus is central to absolutely everything for salvation and for service in life. We bypass him at our peril. As sinners, we bypass him. And if we bypass him, in our sin, we will not go to where he is. As those who have believed in him, if we bypass him in the things of life, then we're missing out on the joy of being with him. Maybe if we're struggling to see the things of God, we can pray like the psalmist did in Psalm 119, verse 18, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Jesus knew that his route to glory would go through the cross. Maybe it's going to be the same for us. Jesus said, Luke 9, 23 is one example, take up your cross daily and follow me. The route to glory for us is one that mirrors the life of the Lord. That'll take us through the experience of the pain of death to self and into the freedom of a new life that comes through trusting in him and that his life stands for us all the while realizing that the glory is guaranteed and is coming. All of this is really summarized with Hebrews chapter 12. Let's turn there very quickly, just in concluding, where all of this is brought together. 
We see Jesus pursuing his path to glory because of the joy that was in it all. And the encouragement then comes to us in tough times to realize that passing through the same is the journey that brings us to glory. Hebrews 12 and verse 1. Halfway through the verse says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let's not kid ourselves that as believers, the sin doesn't entangle us and make us blind. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart.